0: org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. Let's dive into God's Word. We're in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10 today. If you don't have a Bible, we do have Bibles in the back. That's our gift to you. Go ahead, stand up, grab one of those, take that home. And as you turn to Matthew chapter 6, let me do a review from last Sunday. Uh, We are continuing our verse-by-verse study of Matthew's gospel today. We're We're making our way through the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher ever, Jesus Christ and his Sermon on the Mount. For the past month, really, Jesus has taught us how and how not to pray. And for the past several weeks, we've studied the importance of the Lord's Prayer. We've learned the joy of of calling God our Father, He's our father. He's our daddy. He's our papa. And then last Sunday, we also experienced the holiness of God's name. So we put the last two Sundays together. This is as far as we are. Our father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Last week, a couple key points. We said this. Number one, God's people are commanded to be holy, but God's name is holy. God's holiness never changes. And yet God is very, very interested in our slow, progressive change from sinfulness over here to righteousness over there. Key point number two, we we learn that the name of Jesus Christ, when it's taken in vain, or it is taken in vain because it's the only name that can save. And then today, when we come to the third aspect of the Lord's Prayer, and it deals with God's kingdom. Now, keep in mind that the Lord's Prayer has a specific structure to it. Uh, the Lord's Prayer is an outline. It's, it's one thing, there's nothing wrong with praying through the Lord's Prayer and reading it out loud, nothing wrong with that. But keep in mind that the Lord's Prayer um, is an outline, it has a specific structure to it. And as we learn this, we... we We pray the Lord's Prayer, and we focus on the ingredients that really make make it up as a godly prayer. So, for example, the first three verses concern the glory of God. We pray your name, your kingdom, and your will. It's it's all about Almighty God. The second half of the prayer concerns our well-being. We pray, give us, forgive us and deliver us. So those verses deal with human needs. Well, today we're going to look at God's kingdom in verse 10 here. What does it mean when we pray, God, that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it's done in heaven? What are we actually praying for? What does that mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, let's, let's get into the details. If you would, please stand for the reading and the honoring of God's Word. We're going to start in verse 5 to give us a running start here at the, uh, at the Lord's Prayer. And as we have lis- lifted our voices when we sang, I'd invite you to read the words on the screen as we, as we read God's Word together as one voice as well. Starting in verse 5, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray, standing in the synagogues, and the street corners, to be seen by people. Truly I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things that you need before you ask Him. Therefore, you should pray like this, Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Dear friends, these are the very words of the inerrant, the inspired, and the infallible word of God. Please pray with me. Father, the psalmist writes that we have treasured your word in our hearts. So that we may not sin against you. Lord, we do. We, we treasure your word as though we are searching for fine gold and silver. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would write your word and teach us about your kingdom today. We do not want to sin against you. We do not want to sin against one another. Father, lead us right where we are with you. Teach us your word so that we may live it out this very day. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. 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 Please be seated. Thank you. Let's take a look at verses 9 and 10 here. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. So when you hear that word kingdom... What's the first thing that pops in your mind? Do you think royalty? Kings and queens all dressed up in their royal garb, wearing their crowns. Do you picture Mel Gibson as Sir William Wallace in the battle against King Edward I of England? And he screams out, "Freida!" Maybe that thought's a little bit too bloody for you. I'm sorry, first thing in the morning. Maybe you think of the Magic Kingdom, all the Disney characters running around as you stand in line for hours as Mickey Mouse sucks the money right out of your wallet. Is that what you think of when you hear Kingdom? What comes to mind? When you hear that word kingdom, it is such an important word in Scripture. And I think we have a difficulty wrapping our our brains around that because the idea is so foreign to us. As Americans, we live in a republic. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So our form of government is ruled by states. Each state has its own representative. And a republic believes in its sovereignty, its, its ability to rule and reign freely, it, it rests with the people. So it's the citizens of this country that vote people into office and also vote them out. But see, that's not what a monarch does. Uh, We're probably most familiar with the monarch of England. In a kingdom, in the the monarch, uh, the reigning king or queen is the country's head of state. The prime minister and the cabinet are the ones who govern in England. The king and queen, uh, they're supposed to act on their advice. We've all heard of some of the most famous kings and queens of England, haven't we? King Alfred, the great quite the humble man, isn't he? Queen Mary Tudor, you may know her as Bloody Mary. King James I, he's another humble man. He just stamped his name on that Bible, didn't he? Of course, Queen Elizabeth, who just passed, and and now King Charles. So England's history, what it does is it provides us really just a little bit of a context here into the, the kingdom world. So back to our text in verse 10. Your kingdom come. What exactly are we praying for when we pray these words? Does that word kingdom, does it communicate what it truly means? Well, let's take a a look first in in the Old Testament. Uh, We first see scripture talking about kingdoms in Genesis chapter 10. Genesis 10 verse 8 Cush fathered Nimrod, who began to be powerful in the land. And then in verse 10, his kingdom started with Babylon. So notice whose kingdom this is. It's Nimrod's. And by the way, if somebody calls you Nimrod, it's not a compliment. <laughs> Nimrod's kingdom had specific physical boundaries, territories listed in Genesis 10. So he is the king of that kingdom. If we fast forward a little bit to the time of Moses in Exodus chapter 19, Moses goes up to the mountain of God, and the Lord called him to the mountain. This is God speaking to Moses. He says this, This is what you must say to the house of Jacob and explain to all the Israelites. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagle's wings and I brought you to myself. Now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples, although the the whole earth is mine. And in verse 6, you will be my kingdom, my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. So notice here whose kingdom this is. This is God's kingdom. Now, it's the same Hebrew word that that speaks of, of Nimrod's kingdom, but now it's expanded on. Here we see a difference between man's kingdom and God's kingdom within the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God's kingdom includes physical boundaries and territories. We see that throughout the book of Joshua. But the Israelites were also supposed to minister to the neighboring countries once they settled in. So key point number one for us is this. God's kingdom is both external with physical land and it's internal with a salvific message. God's kingdom is both external with with physical land and, and territories, but it's also internal with a salvific message. There's salvation, there is eternal life within God's kingdom. Notice here in verse 10, uh, Matthew says or Jesus says your kingdom come your kingdom so let's not forget who's, who the king is it, it is the, the Lord God Almighty it is Yahweh God that is until Israel demanded a human king and then they got some guy named Saul in First Samuel chapter 13 that was a very very bad plan by the way that's another sermon for another day But if we fast forward again to the New Testament, and this is fascinating because the word kingdom occurs 124 times in the Gospels. Kingdom in the Greek is basileia. Basileia doesn't primarily refer to a a, a geographical territory, but sovereignty, dominion. So what we're doing is we're, we're seeing another shift from the Old Testament to the New, from physical territory to the reality of God's rule over all of creation. So key point number two, and this one's a bit long, but it's really important before before we move on here. When we pray, your kingdom come, we're praying for God's government, his administration, and his leadership through Jesus Christ to be established on the earth. When we pray your kingdom come, we're praying for God's government, his administration, his leadership through the person and the work of Jesus Christ to be established on the earth. So back to verse 10, your kingdom come. Your your kingdom come. That verb there come, it refers to a decisive time in the future when the kingdom of God will come once and for all. Jesus uses this verb speaking of his second coming when he's talking about end times. Um, So in other words, God's kingdom will come in its due course on his, on God's providential time frame. It's an event that will happen only one time. Come, the Greek word there is erkome, and it paints the picture of this this sudden, this instantaneous coming. And we see this in Matthew chapter 24. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, this, he says, look, guys, if anyone tells you, see over there, that's the Messiah, don't believe it. He says, for false messiahs and false prophets, they're going to arise and they're going to perform these great signs and these wonders, these um, these wonders, these miracles to lead people astray, if possible, even the elect. And then he says, well, take note. I've already told you in advance. So if they tell you, look, he's over there in the wilderness. You got to go see him. Oh, no, 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 no. He's over there in the storeroom. He's in an inner room. Don't believe that either. And here's why. This is why he tells us this. Verse 27, for as the lightning comes from the east, And flashes as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So in other words, nobody's going to miss this event. No one's going to question it. Everybody's going to see it. Back to verse 10. He says, your kingdom come. Your your kingdom come really has two elements. There's, There's a present focus, and there's also a future focus. And it's significant to note that God's kingdom is already established in the heavens. 1 Timothy 6.15, Paul writes to Tim and he says this, God will bring this about in his own time. So the end times, he, Jesus, is the blessed and the only sovereign. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of Lords. So Jesus, his kingdom currently spans the entire universe. Jesus is Lord over all creation. So let's talk about the here and now first. And that brings us to key point number three. At this moment in time, God's kingdom on earth, first and foremost, is internal. At this moment in time, God's kingdom on the earth is First and foremost, it's internal. We are part of the kingdom of God. God's kingdom lies in the hearts and the minds of those who have confessed their sin, who have repented from their sin and and believe that Jesus is God. He is Messiah. So in this sense, praying for the kingdom to come is praying for the salvation of souls. Praying that your kingdom come is about evangelism. It's about witnessing. Praying your kingdom come is praying that God would give us as the church this amazing privilege to share Jesus day by day. So key point number four for us this morning. God's kingdom comes through conversion. God's kingdom comes through conversion, and, and conversion comes in two parts. Number one, God's, God's part, but also, number two, our. God's part is the actual converting of that heart, and our part is, the, is called the Great Commission. So let's take a look here. Jesus had already been crucified. He was buried in a grave, and he was dead in the grave for three days, And then just like he said he would, he gets up and walks out of his grave. Jesus then reveals himself to the disciples several times over the next month. And now Jesus is about to ascend back to heaven where he came from. So we're going to pick up the story here in Matthew 28. The 11 disciples, they traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. So when they, the disciples, when they saw him, Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on the earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you and remember I'm with you always to the end of the age. So as as part of God's kingdom here, we as God's children, we have have been commissioned to do something with our our faith. That word says it all. We are on a commission with the Lord Jesus Christ. As blood-bought, born-again believers, we are tasked to somehow and in some way share our faith with, with unbelievers Now, this doesn't mean that we're called to the office of being an evangelist, but it does mean we are witnesses, that we're all witnesses to the blood-stained cross and that empty grave and and our new life in Christ. And that's why our vision here at River is to share Jesus day by day. God has, has given us all certain abilities and spiritual gifts to fulfill the Great Commission, Now, please note that those abilities and those spiritual gifts, they need to be developed. um, And that's where the church comes in. Nowhere in Scripture does, uh, does the Bible encourage anyone to do anything in the name of Jesus alone and isolated apart from the church. That's why we're always teaching, we're always training, and we're always teaching some more. So it's right here in the Lord's Prayer where we become evangelistic. We become on mission with our church family. And we see this. We see the evangelistic efforts here by both John the baptizer and Jesus. They started off their ministries preaching the same sermon. They said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Throughout the gospels, we see Jesus talk a lot about his kingdom. It's interesting that before Jesus started preaching about his kingdom that Satan tempted Jesus with all the earthly kingdoms. Matthew 4.8 says this, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And Satan said to Jesus, Hey, Jesus, I will give you all of these things if you're going to fall down and worship me. So what's, what's Satan suggesting here? Now, keep in mind, he is the father of lies, but he is suggesting that all the earthly kingdoms are his to give away. Now, is that true? Moments before the the crucifixion, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, he has a conversation, amazing conversation with Jesus in John chapter 18. Pilate went back into the headquarters. He summoned Jesus and he said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, well, are you asking this on your own or have other people told you about me? Pilate gets, he gets offended. I'm not a Jew, am I? Come on now, your own nation. The chief priest handed you over to me. So what have you done? So in other words, Pontius Pilate is saying, you certainly don't look like a king to me. Jesus says this, Pilate, my kingdom, it's not of this world. Because if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. One verse, he's talking about his kingdom three three times. He says, my kingdom is not from here. And that's why Jesus preached, repent for the kingdom of God. It's near. It's on the horizon. Verse 37, Pilate asks, ah, you are a king then. Mm, You say that I'm a king? That's that's, uh, Jesus' answer of just saying yes. And here's why. He says, I was born for this. And I have come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So throughout all the scriptures, we do see two kingdoms at odds with one another. Jesus talks about this conflict with John the baptizer. John the baptizer gets thrown in prison and he starts to doubt. That shows the humanness of him. Matthew eleven eleven. Jesus says, truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one is greater than uh, John the Baptist has appeared, but he's also least in the kingdom of heaven. I got a little excited. Let me try that again. (laughs) Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been suffering violence, and the violent have been seizing it by force. So, when Jesus is talking about violence here, he's probably referring to the scribes and the Pharisees. And when he says taking the violent by force, he's probably once again referring to Herod Antipas, who murdered John the Baptizer. The Apostle Paul, he he makes a very blunt observation here about two kingdoms. He's writing to the church in Ephesus, and he says this in Ephesians 2. He says, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. Time out. That means we all have a bad case of the normals, right? We all did this. It's part of our DNA. It's part of our story. He goes on to say, the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world, he is, is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. So we know that there are two kingdoms on the earth and one kingdom is Satan's. Now, look, I know we don't like to hear that. Kind of sounds like a Saturday night Live, Live skit, doesn't it? With the, Remember the old church lady? what it sounds like. But keep in mind that the world mocks. They mock that because they don't understand it. Just like you and I didn't understand it at one time either. So let's keep in mind that Satan's kingdom is temporary. The kingdom of God is eternal. But look what happened here after Satan tempted Jesus with all the earthly kingdoms. Jesus recovers from his 40-day fast. And in Matthew chapter 4, We read this, Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and look at this, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. The reason that Jesus healed and performed miracles is to prove that he is God. And he is God in the form of the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and he is ushering in his kingdom it was the central theme of his, of his preaching. Jesus started off preaching on the, on the Mount, uh, the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. He, he starts off in verse 3. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit for the kingdom of heaven, it's theirs. It's also how Jesus ends with the Beatitudes. In verse 10, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for the kingdom of heaven is It is theirs. Jesus tells us how to have our priorities straight as disciples in Matthew 6.33. This is great. He says, seek first. This is the first thing that you do. Seek first what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. You live righteousness. We live according to what the Lord says in his word. And when we do that, look at the promise. All these things, all these things that we worry about in the back of our mind, all these things will be provided for you. Why? Because He's a good, good Father. Jesus tells us how to enter His kingdom. In Matthew chapter 7, He says, you got to enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road broad. That road leads to destruction. There are many who, who go through that. But how narrow is the gate and how difficult the road that leads to life, true life, and very few find it. Jesus tells us to be cautious of people who say they're in the kingdom. Matthew 7 continues, he says, be on guard against all the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravaging wolves. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say, Lord. They'll say, Jesus, Lord. Didn't we prophesy in your name? I love this. Didn't we? Didn't we do all this cool stuff? Instead of the Trinity being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is me, myself, and I. It didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons? Didn't we do miracles in your name? Aren't you impressed, Lord? Lord, aren't you impressed? Notice the ministry it was all about them. They obviously didn't seek first the kingdom of God. Look at this. It's one of the scariest verses in all the scripture. Jesus is going to say, look guys, I don't know you. I don't know who you are. And I don't recognize your works. Depart from me. You guys are a bunch of lawbreakers. And then Jesus continues throughout the, uh, the Gospels. He teaches about the kingdom of God through parables. Matthew chapter 12, the parable of the sower. Matthew chapter 13 with the parable of the wheat and the weeds. The parable of the the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven. And then just moments before Jesus' ascension back into heaven, the disciples asked him in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. They said, Lord, are you going to to restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? Talk about an inappropriate question at that moment. Verse 7. He says, look, guys, it's not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority. So what Jesus is is saying there is, look, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. What I want you to do is I, I do want you to work within the time frame that I've given you to fulfill the great commission. And the same is true for us. So all that to say this. We as children of God and as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are commissioned in doing our part to establish the the coming of of God's kingdom here on earth. We do this first through our prayers. And then secondly, we cooperate with God and the the gifting that God has given to us. So in other words, the, the only way the kingdom of God will manifest itself in this world before Christ comes is if we display God's kingdom in our lives. Now God has promised to do his part, but we must also do ours. Now how scary is that? In my opinion, that's a horrible plan. Because I'm like, "Hello God, have have you met me? Have you met us? We're a mess." And Jesus says, I know, but I'm going to be right there with you. Key point number five, John Calvin said this. He said, it is the task of the church to make the invisible kingdom visible. Isn't that good? It is the task of the local church to make the invisible kingdom visible. So that's the present focus of of that phrase, "Your, your kingdom come. So let's discuss the future focus. During the first century, the kingdom of God was in their midst because the king was in their midst. So when John the baptizer comes on the scene and he preaches, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, he's speaking of the radical proximity of the Messiah because the king is inseparable uh, when he came to earth, or he's inseparable from his kingdom. So Jesus, what he did is he inaugurates God's kingdom when he came to earth, but he didn't complete it. He will complete it at his second coming, though. So back to verse 10. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will, not our will, your will, Lord. That, that word will in the Greek is thelema, And it means my wish, my desire, my purpose, um, my resolve for you. So, God's will, it means that we have to prepare, we gotta prepare ourselves for something we're not used to hearing. God's will in our lives, in the kingdom of God, is unconventional, it is uncommon, it is radical, it is revolutionary. It's an alternative to our way of thinking. God speaks through the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. He says this, Isaiah 55, 9. For as heaven is higher than the earth, so are my ways. They're higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. God doesn't work like us. He doesn't think like us. Isn't that good news? Praise God. The psalmist says in Psalm 37.4, he says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Psalm 24, may he give you what your heart desires and fulfill your whole purpose. So it is through prayer where God changes our desires towards his will be done, not ours. So let's put this whole thing back together. Matthew um, Verse chapter six, verse nine, Jesus says, therefore, you should pray like this, our father in heaven, your name be honored as holy, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The very fact that Jesus tells us to pray like this in verse nine, it reveals that God's will is not being done here on the earth, which brings us to key point number six, When we pray, your will be done, we are praying that God's will becomes our own. When we pray, your will be done, we're praying that God's will be done. So we see a vertical transaction there of the cross, don't we? We're praying vertically, head, heart, We got to do something with it. Now look, we we all know, we see that because we're, we're living in a state of wickedness right now, we know that God's will is not being done. We live in a wicked world where people do everything they can to erase God. They think that if they can get rid of God, well, then they can eliminate God's law. Ah. And if they can eliminate the law, then they negate their need for a savior because they're their own God and they're going to live by their own laws and their own self-designed kingdom. So in other words, the world, if the world can get rid of the kingdom of God, they don't have to be accountable to the king of kings. If the world can eradicate God, there will be no judgment day. But dear friends, judgment day is coming. And everybody is responsible for themselves. However, as we've, we, we learn to apply what we learned today, let's look at verse 10 one more time. And, and here's the prayer for this week. Your kingdom come, Lord God, through me your kingdom come and your will be done through me on earth as it is in heaven. When we get this into our bones, we start to understand why the first part of of the Lord's Prayer is all about God. Because when we recognize God as a father, that his name is holy, and that his his will and his his kingdom is in our hearts. Dear friends, he will work through us. And we we can't keep it head, heart, hands, we can't keep it to ourselves. Your kingdom come through me, your will be done through me on earth as it is in heaven. Father, what an amazing time to open up your word. Thank you for teaching us about your kingdom. Thank you for teaching us about your will and, and how your will is accomplished. And I sense like we are, we're, we're seeing this real time right now in the Verde Valley. As you continue to bring your churches together people together, unify together. This, this is a manifestation of your kingdom come. And Father, we just want to honor you and we want to praise you and thank you for allowing us to have a front row seat to it all. I pray, Lord God, that um, as we pray for your kingdom come in the Verde Valley, that we wait expectantly for you to do your part And at the same time, Lord, that you would move us in ours as well. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. 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 Amen.